still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every I'm tired, but don't let my fatigue impact your level of enthusiasm and energy for class. I, I uh, ran out of work today and still had work to do and, and uh, still having uh, my mind on other things a lot for this weekend, but like what? <laughs> uh, it is a joy to be together tonight, and I want to thank you for being here. If you missed last week, we tried to introduce a, a topic. It's a little bit different than what we, we typically do, and it's, a, it's an idea of trying to delve into the psyche of the man David, the man after God's own heart. And we're doing this at a particular time of his life that um, I, you know, arguably you could say is the, the strongest part of his life. It is when he is young. It is when he is uh, humble. It is the time uh, immediately following his private anointing by Samuel while Saul is still king for the next 20 years in Israel, and so David is anticipating his ascension to the throne, knowing that the throne is waiting for him, but Saul is still there, and David is in this very awkward position of coming into the king's court where he belongs, where he has been anointed, and and being useful as a servant to the king and honoring the choice that God made when he anointed Saul and waiting on his time. And there has to be some very mixed feelings going on in this young man. It seems very soon after his uh, anointing by Samuel that he has probably the most famous story of his life as a young man he defeats Goliath, and he takes the, the dead head of Goliath to Saul. He'd already been known by Saul. He was already in, uh, acquainted in, in some ways with the court of Saul. Um, and, and now he is coming to, um, he, he's coming into his own as a man of God and a man after God's own heart. And it's really intriguing to think about this at this time. So we're in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, where David is anointed. And then just read a few verses following that. Actually, let's read verse 11 through 14 of 1 Samuel, 
16. Samuel said to Jesse, are, all, are these all of the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. This is a turning point, of course. Saul has been rejected as being the king for his disobedience, for his failure to comply with the, uh, the commands of God, and, and, and for just his rebellion against God, and then even, not even taking responsibility for that. David has been selected. And, and these things are coming to the realization of Saul through this terrorizing spirit. God has departed from Saul. He has removed his, his presence of security. He has removed his presence of even sanity, it seems, in many ways uh, with Saul. And from that day forward, that is a turning point. So following that, David does uh, kill Goliath. And evidently, Saul had, had, had placed a bounty on anybody who would, willing, who would be willing to face this giant that that he would enrich his family, that he would become the king's son-in-law, that he would, he would give his daughter to marriage, and that his family would be tax-exempt. David heard all of these enticements, and he said, well, look, there's no reason I can't do this. There's no reason for anybody to delay. And we see this young, enthusiastic, God-inspired man, the man after God's own heart, do what the, the bravest, Soldiers and warriors in Israel were afraid to do. And he does this great thing. But it's soon after this that he is welcomed into Saul's court because this terrorizing spirit is, is bothering Saul. And they say, well, let's get somebody to play music. And David was an excellent musician who played on his stringed instrument. We'll call it a harp. Steve calls it a guitar, but he had a harp or a lyre that he would play, and it would soothe these temperamental bouts of insanity and paranoia in Saul. But David's life is about to spin out of control in dramatic ways. He is about to have a life that is captured and uh, just completely encircled by chaos, and it is a life of great crisis because Saul sees the writing on the wall. He feels intimidated by this young man who people are chanting about his, his great feats in the, you know, in, at the wars that Saul has sent him to do. And so now Saul plots to kill him. He not only plots to kill him, he tries to kill him. 
in the 18th chapter, <coughs> excuse me, no less than I counted about 10 times we see Saul making plans to harm or to kill David. And we can just go through those very quickly as, as we look at the attempts on his life. First of all, um, it is with a spear. Saul is pictured with a, a spear in his hand on multiple occasions. Gerald pointed this out to me. It's very interesting. And you, you, you look at um, Saul, it, it seems that he always has a spear in his hand. That, that he's walking around with a spear in his hand. He, I, why? Because he's going crazy. And he is, he is uh, obsessed with the kingdom being torn from him and being given to David. He, he sees what's happening. David's popularity is gaining. David is blessed in all that he does. He is successful on the, the military grounds. He is loved by all of the people. He's loved by Saul. Saul loves him, the Bible tells us. He can't help it. Saul's son David loves him, and, and they enter into a, a marvelous covenant where where Jonathan recognizes that the kingdom is not his, and he actually gives him his own rope. I think that's indicative of Jonathan saying, this is the way things are going to go, and I honor that. And it's soon after that that, that Saul attempts to kill David by throwing a spear at him. And we're told that on that occasion, twice, David escaped. Saul looked at David, verse 9, with suspicion from that day on, and it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual, and the spear was in Saul's hand, and Saul hurled the spear. For he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped from his presence twice. I just listed that as one circumstance of Saul trying to kill David. You go down just a few verses and, and Saul makes good on his promise to give his daughter to uh, David for marriage. And he said, here is my daughter um, Merab. I will give her to you, verse 17, as a wife. Only be valiant, only be a valiant man for me and fight the Lord's battles. But listen to the ulterior motive that he had. For he thought, my hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. The Philistines can do my dirty work. They can kill him. This is the second that I have. And then he conspires with his daughter, Michael, who does become his wife. And he says, she can be a snare to him. I can harm David through my own daughter. And I will conspire with my daughter, Michael. David, when he's presented with this opportunity to marry Michael, he says, well, I, I, I'm a poor man. I'm a humble man. I'm from a small family. I don't have a dowry to pay. And Saul says, that's all right. All you need to do is go and kill a hundred Philistines. Bring me the evidence of that, and that will be your dowry. And David comes back with evidence of 200 that he has killed, and thus he as the dowry. Again, this was an attempt by Saul 
to put him surrounded by the fiercest enemy that they had, to have David killed as he was in pursuit of the payment of this dowry. It was a suicide mission, Saul thought. That was an attempt on David's life. Then you get to chapter 19 and Saul even tries to conspire with his son Jonathan now. Verse 1, now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. It's not a conspiracy with Jonathan that's going to accomplish this, but Saul tried, even with his son Jonathan. We find him throwing another spear in chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. And it's at this point that David realizes he must flee the court for good. And he goes on the run, and, but he goes to his house where he lives with uh, his wife, Michael. And it's at this point that, that Saul sends messengers to watch the house. And we don't have a whole lot of information about the, these assassins, is what they are, that Saul has sent to watch David's house. But this is the psalm. This is the event that inspires our psalm that we will be looking at a little bit this evening. So in in chapter 19 here in verse 11, the Bible says, Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So Michael let David down through a window And he went out and fled and escaped. This is the seventh, as I count them, attempt on David's life by Saul. They form a, what sounds like a ridiculous plan to fool these assassins. And that is they they put the household idols in a bed and pretend David is sick in bed. And when the messengers come... They find, the report is, David is sick in bed. He can't come to the door. And Saul says, bring him to me. And this ridiculous picture of them bringing this bed with a dummy inside. This is the the eighth attempt on his life. Saul plans to kill him even on his sick bed when he comes back. He sends messengers to Naoth later in this chapter. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. We'll talk about this a little bit more in the future, one of our future lessons, perhaps next week, where, um, again, Saul sends out ambassadors of his to go and kill David. As they come into close proximity to Samuel, they begin prophesying. They are overwhelmed by the Spirit of God speaking through them. They can't kill David. Saul sends another group. Same thing happens three times. Then Saul himself goes and says, yep, you want to have something done right, you've got to do it yourself. Saul himself is overwhelmed with the Spirit of God, and he begins prophesying. And we, we find Saul lying naked in front of Samuel, just prophesying. And people begin thinking, well, is he one of the prophets now? He didn't go to prophesy. He went to kill David for the tenth time. In these two chapters, as I count that, 
10 attempts on David's life by this madman. How's David feeling about right now, you think? What's going on in his mind? David, the man after God's own heart, on the run for his life. There's a man who's living in crisis mode, and there's no doubt about it. Chaos has overwhelmed his life. He is, he has stirred the, the wrath of a powerful king, a king who is anointed by Jehovah, but he himself has been anointed. Comes to mind. You think, you've been watching the news, right? You've seen what's, these tornadoes that have been going, went through the several states up north. Scary stuff. It's horrible. You see people standing in front of completely demolished homes. They've lost everything. No house, no car, no nothing. You hear people crying out for loved ones that are still missing. You see people who are in deep grief over their loved ones who have died in this random weather event. These are people who are living in crisis themselves. How are these people going to find solace? How are these people going to find God? How how are these people going to be rewarded for their pursuit of God? I think as we look at David's life, it's going to help us develop some strategies because all of us face life crisis, whether it is severe illness, death, and members of our family, desperate circumstance, whatever they may be, the crisis comes to all of us. Comes to all of us. Just as surely as David was in fear of his life and in crisis, and we have the benefit of knowing this, David wrote some psalms during this time. These are the psalms we're going to be spending most of our time with. And we're going to look at tonight, Psalm 59, as we think about this. Now, the the identifying marker at the top of this psalm identifies this as the circumstance in which Saul sent men and they watched his house in order to kill him. That's not mentioned anywhere in the psalm. But here's the interesting thing about that. As you read 1 Samuel 18 and 19 as we did, it it sounds like there's just this single event where these assassins go and they're watching the house at night and in the morning they're going to kill him. And David escapes overnight. The psalm gives us 
a little bit more insight that lets us know that this was a much more prolonged event. There are, there's more than one night involved of them watching the house and them prowling around like dogs as he describes them in this psalm. So even though the psalm doesn't give us information about details of what happened or what was said or what was done, he just talks about these dogs that are prowling around at night and seeking to do me harm and asking for God's security during this time. Read, read with me in this psalm, Psalm 59. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Set me securely on high away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity and save me from the men of bloodshed. For behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men launch an attack against me. Not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. For no guilt of mine they run and set themselves against me. Arouse thyself to help me and see. And thou, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be gracious to any who are treacherous in iniquity. They return at evening. They howl like a dog. They go around the city. Behold, they belch forth with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. And they say, who hears? But thou, O Lord, dost laugh at them. Thou dost scoff at all the nations. Because of his strength, I will watch for thee. For God is my stronghold. My God in his loving kindness will meet me. God will let me look triumphantly upon my foes. Do not slay them lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield, on account of the sin in their mouth and the words of their lips. Let them even be caught in their pride and on account of curses and lies which they utter. Destroy them in wrath. Destroy them that they may be no more that they may know that the God that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. And they return at evening. They howl like a dog. They go around the city. They wander about for food and growl if they're not satisfied. But as for me, I shall sing of thy strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of thy loving kindness in the morning. For thou hast been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to thee. For God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. What a song that is. Sometimes we get caught up in these imprecatory psalms, the psalms that call for the destruction of the wicked. Don't get carried away with with all of that. Don't be distracted by that. Understand that that David in righteousness is calling on God in his righteousness. He's calling on him to to serve his own sense of justice in this matter. He's not saying that I'm sinless in all things, but whatever they're saying is not true. 
whatever the accusations are against him, nothing could be further from the truth. David has performed as an outstanding warrior in Saul's army, leading men, doing great feats of courage for for Jehovah, the, the God of Jacob. He has served Saul with his musical skills. He has soothed the savage beast inside of him. He has developed strong relationships with with powerful people, including Jonathan, the son of the king. He has made covenants. He has drawn the love of all people to himself. And the only one that truly hates him is Saul. And so now he is in this position where he's calling out for God to be merciful and to put him in a secure high place. I find it interesting, he tells God, wake up, arouse yourself, God. Or do you see what's happening here? You ever feel like that? God, do you see what's happening here? When are you going to do something about this? And that's kind of the tone that I hear coming from David. Wake up, arouse yourself in your jealous might, your zeal for truth, for justice. Take action now, God. Arouse yourself. These enemies have come up against me to kill me for no good purpose. And I put my trust in you, he says. If you were to only have the psalm and not have any other information, you might have some imagination about how God delivered David from his enemies. You probably wouldn't imagine his wife sneaking him out of a window. Is that how the mighty God of Israel saves his people? By having their wives sneak them out the window when nobody's looking in the dark? And so he can run away. It was successful. Did God accomplish that? Who can deny it? David is giving glory to God for this simple act of deliverance. However it comes about, it didn't appear that it was going to come about. But it did come about. In a way, perhaps David did not imagine but he doesn't fall short in giving glory to God for the glorious outcome of this. Oh, his life is still in crisis because he's a man on the run, and he will be for some time. And we're going to see David become very weary by the time we're finished talking about these things. It's going to be quite difficult for him to, to go on. Let's, let's just try to focus in on a few of the strategies that we see. What, what do you see as David, as, um, what strategies do you see David utilizing to fulfill his purpose to being a man after God's own heart in the midst of crisis? That's a big, that's a big question.
singing the praises of God. He, he was able to, even in the midst of the chaos and crisis, to find ways to extol the glories of his God. He, he never lost sight of that. Yeah, Rick. I've, I, as I've been studying this, I've been thinking, and, and I've been going back and forth in my mind. David had no fear in facing Goliath. Why, why does he seem to be afraid when it comes to Saul? Hmm. Yeah, seems to be that, that he has reverence for the anointing. In fact, he says that. He has reverence for the anointed one. Yes, yeah, Charlie. How are you going to accomplish this, God? It, it seems impossible. It seems impossible. Let's, let's remember, Psalms are prayers. This one in particular, it's a prayer. The first thing David does, he prays about this. And he asks God, very forthrightly, deliver me from my enemies. That's a good strategy when you're in crisis. <laughs> deliver me. From this circumstance, God, however you want to do it, however you can do it, deliver me. First thing. All these adversities that he's facing, like you said, for many, many years, it's developing a greater dependence upon God, realizing I can't do it. God has made this promise, and that's one of the ways to give a man after God's own heart. So I mean, yeah. we, we see him, like I said, this, at this point in his life, very humble. Later on, he tries to make some arrangements to get things done. He, well, well, we'll talk more about that later, but, but now he is living in humility. And here's another assumption that, that I think we can read into this. Um, he knows that God knows what's happening. He, he knows that God sees this. When you're in the middle of your crisis... Do, do not be dissuaded from that point. God knows what you're going through. He sees it clearly, more clearly than you do. He knows what you're going through. He knows it. So say that. Admit it. Understand it. God knows what I'm going through. We see his great confidence in God's sense of justice in this. We see that He's, God is strong, God is loyal, 
and he praises his strength and he sings joyfully even in the chaos of his loving kindness as he rests in his security. And David expects God to do the right thing. He knows the heart of God. There are just a few points that I want to make before we're finished. Um, and uh, then I'll, then I'll let, the, let you have the floor. Number one, David was anointed. He had expectations of being at home in the king's court. And he was for a little while, but soon he was not welcome in the king's court. Brethren, you and I, our beloved children of God, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We belong in, king, in the king's court, in God's court. We are God's own possession. And so our expectations for who God is and what he is to us should be elevated. We should have very high expectations. We belong in God's court. Number two, Saul had a manic hatred that threatened David. And that spear, you know, was sharp. Storms of life still threaten us today, whether it is cancer or whether it is tornadoes. That spear is still sharp today. Recognize the reality of that. Number three, God was David's security. He didn't rest on any other means of security. It was obvious that his escape plan, <laughs> he was relying on God to accomplish that. But he still plotted and planned with desperation even. Our storms may demand strength and endurance and unthinkable sacrifice. But our security must rest in God's power and not our own. You will be called on to walk through the storms and do heroic deeds yourself as you go through and face the crisis of your own life. But understand, the real strength is not your own, but it rests in God's power. And one more thing, as we read this psalm, we see a great deal of theology. And, and David's focus on theology, on who God is, on what he is, on what he can do, it was not an intellectual exercise for David to say, you are my stronghold, you are powerful, you are God of hosts, you can do anything. You are the Almighty. That was not merely an intellectual exercise with David. That was deep in his heart. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. It provided very practical solutions to surviving the direst of circumstances. And so let me just say, God's strength, power, security, steadfast love provides a practical shield for us as well when it is framed in the reality of eternity. Not only was David's life at risk, his mind was at risk, his heart was at risk, his confidence in God was at risk. 
Again, thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence